And we do actually have Jamie coming on the show today to talk about mobile. <gasps> no. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to set that up. Uh, unstructured interview coming later on the show. What could go wrong? It's going to be I so mean, good. Uh, Rue will get heavily edited will be the, the outcome of that, really. <laughs> what, what can go wrong is the fact that editing will take about four times as long. I will do my best. We love you, to Anna. To keep it. <laughs> I will do my best to keep it concise. Anna's 100% going to cut this, so... <laughs> yeah, oops, sorry. Uh, she, anyway. she is editing the podcast this week, so uh, yeah. I, I can safely say jump into some Watchtower Weekly twice and not accidentally include the drump into Watchtower Weekly that was on the one that went live. <laughs> I don't know whether anybody <laughs> caught that. I did, I loved it. But I definitely said... Let's drump into some Watchtower Weekly. It was cute. I wondered if that was a funny word from your part of the world that I like didn't know. Like a Britishism. Know. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wondered. No. No. <laughs> just me stumbling off in my words. <laughs> By the time this show goes out, or shortly thereafter, our new Android app is going to be out in early access. Yes. So two years... One month and 13 days ago, we hit file new project on all new 1Password 8 apps. And now they are all out in the wild in some way, shape, or form. This project has been my my baby for the last two years. It's been a road, let me tell you. But I'm excited. The app is looking good. It's going to be fun. I'm really happy for us as a company, but even more so just happy that you're happy, Rue. Aw, Thanks, Emily. That was such a loving moment that I can't say anything that, that repeats that. <laughs> I was thinking of something scathing, so that's... <laughs> well, also, like, you have nothing... You, you tend not to have good things to say about stuff, uh, so... That, that's uh, not true. I'm an optimist on the inside. On the inside. <laughs> what do you think you are on the outside? Um, pragmatic? Mm. Okay. I don't know you well enough to confirm or deny this for well, our listeners. That's good. <laughs> I'm really excited that we're at the bit of the apps where we're kind of, we're tweaking such small details now. Oh, yeah. And people are starting to notice those details. Like we got some feedback about some of the icons and, and some of the colors and, and that type of thing. And like for us, like user experience is a huge driver, right? Like we get that set before we start really fine tuning stuff. The fine-tuning stuff is really fun. Yeah, it really is. Like, we've, we've sort of gotten to the point in our conceptual execution where where it's like, okay, but now, like, what if we did this as well or also or sometimes instead? That's fun to me because it sort of takes what's currently out there and then up-levels it in a really fun way. And I can't say any more because it's not out yet, so this is kind of a tease. But, like, there's some cool new stuff coming <laughs> that I'm pretty stoked about. So with that, let's move to some Watchtower Weekly. So... All the headlines this week, well, most of them, are about Conti, the ransomware group. So first off, because the US has offered a $15 million reward, up to $10 million of that reward are offered for information on the Conti leadership, their identity and location, and an additional $5 million for leading to the arrest and or convictions of individuals who conspired or attempted to participate in Conti ransomware attacks. So the FBI estimates that as of January 2022, there have been over 1,000 victims uh, of attacks associated with the Conti ransomware, with victim payouts exceeding $150 million, making the Conti ransomware variant 
the costliest strain of ransomware ever documented. The major motivator of this was a recent ransomware attack against the government of Costa Rica. So the Costa Rican president has declared a national emergency following cyber attacks from the Conti ransomware group on multiple government bodies. As of yesterday, Conti's data leak site had been updated to state that the group had leaked 97% of the 672 gigabyte data dump containing information apparently stolen from government agencies. Since April 18th, the Treasury's digital services have been unavailable, which is affecting the entire productive sector, as they call it, due to the government's procedures, signatures and stamps having been disrupted. And kind of flipping the the tables in a taste of their own medicine, Conti themselves have had some documents leaked, thought to be an act of revenge over Conti's pro-Russia stance, which they announced and then kind of took back a little bit later. There's a ridiculously detailed write-up on CyberInt, if that's your thing. Not sure why I would think differently, but from the detailed write-up and the leak, Conti's organization has an executive management team, they have a business development arm, and HR and finance operations. So they've got all the things of like a normal business. This is a highlight for me. I mean, you're right. Why would we think differently? But it's sort of surprising. It's weird, right? But I imagine they have like HR processes and stuff. Oh my gosh. I want to know. I want to know their HRBPs. This is delicious. I love this detail. (laughs) So in the leak, there were tools, there was malware that they used, their chat logs, uh, group structure... After being analysed by the industry, some names and faces were also made public. After the main leak, the conversations that were leaked showed that the decision was made to go off the grid for some time. It seems that the key members of the group are making efforts to ensure that all relevant files are deleted, all links shared within the conversations are dead, all servers used for the organisation's infrastructure are also all down. So Conti members... Uh, were witnessed talking about the leak and trying to understand who the Ukrainian researcher is, they believe, was the uh, member of the group who went rogue who then leaked a bunch of stuff. So yeah, drama from both sides, I think. So the question is, does this have the side effect of pushing members to their competitors? And will this information then strengthen the competitors? Like uh, Josby, Fonica, Bivity and Wapno. So can Conti really return after this? Those uh, those ransomware group competitors, by the way, are completely made up. I did just want to see if you were both paying attention. This is a whole <laughs> other world. Yep. No, didn't Google it. I am going to need to see that org structure. I need this book or documentary of how they came to be. I want to know everything about their story. We're going to need a TV show. I'm going to need it all. Oh, that's very true. Maybe like some sort of WeWork style whatever that was called. I, I really enjoyed that. We Crash. We we Crash. I thought that was pretty solid and terrifying. I love that this is like a fine-tuned machine, this little organization. I want to know everything. As an operator, I just want to know it all. <laughs> when you think it's billions of dollars, yeah. why wouldn't they have, just looking through some of their, their documentation here, they have kind of negotiators uh, and acquisitions in the business development arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have third-party services and operations in the uh, R&D arm. And they have recruitment and employee onboarding in HR. Wow. And in finance, they have money laundering and transaction management. 
Oh my so there we go. gosh. They even have uh, affiliates. <laughs> no, they do not. They have affiliates. Come on. This is like how things work. That I want to know everything. This is, of course, it's so sophisticated. It would have to be so sophisticated. I'm not sure why. I think it's just one person behind a laptop. That's something I need to. <laughs> I need to grapple with offline. <laughs> They're all criminals, though, right? Like just because they've incorporated. They're all criminals. Organized criminals, really. When you look at the amount of organization that they've added, this is organized crime. There is a kind of running theory around some of this that the people who work for Conti don't perhaps know that they're working illegally. Oh, that's even better. And so they're, they're given tasks in like a, you know, in an environment where you don't obviously know that you're breaking into a pipeline or something like that wow it's some 90s action movie kind of you know james bond uh, criminal organization i'm casting it right now yeah i am more surprised that the naming of these kind of ransomware groups doesn't turn to that right that we don't have a what was the one from james bond specter yeah that we don't have a specter Okay, in our casting session, the person running HR is definitely J. Smith Cameron, who played Jerry in Succession. <laughs> okay. Ooh. No? That's, that's some solid. I like that. The next casting, I think, would be under Bergamot, which is apparently one of, uh, one of their top kind of lieutenants, and Mango and Bentley. Mango and Bentley is one person's name. I would say that we should bring back the Matthew Broderick Alan Ruck uh, relationship for those two. I think that would that would pair well. On screen chemistry would be fantastic. Great call. Love it. Ship it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where we find out that most of these people are like fourteen, fifteen years old um, and hiding all of their billions from their parents. Oh, no. oh my heart. Would not be the first time, right? No. <laughs> okay, so this next one is reported by bleeping computer and it's about caramel the credit card stealing as a service and this has been growing in popularity recently it basically allows anybody who is a low skilled threat actor i'm sure that's not how they self-describe but it is an easy way and an automated way to start in the world of financial fraud an internship in into being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the credit card skimmers are malicious scripts that are injected into hacked e-commerce websites that quietly wait for customers to make a purchase on the site. Once a purchase is made, these malicious scripts then steal the credit card details and send them back to remote servers to be collected by threat actors. So you'll remember something similar affected British Airways website for a good couple of months. I myself actually had my Amex recently duped and uh this was i think probably the method in in which they did it so the new service was discovered by domain tools which states that the platform is currently operated by a russian cybercrime organization named caramel corp (laughs) i have no feelings about this one to be honest such a bland name sticky sweet i love it (laughs) this service supplies subscribers with skimmer script deployment instructions, a campaign management panel, which is everything a threat actor needs to launch their own credit card stealing career, I guess. So before you start on your budding adventure, you will need to, first of all, speak Russian. And also you're really likely to get caught. So, you know, don't. They're going to have a list of clients when they get turned over by the the police. Who do you think they're first going to give up? This entire list of people that they've sold it to. This is so daft. The Caramel Service 
actually only sells to Russian-speaking threat actors, using an initial vetting process that excludes those using machine translation or are inexperienced in this field. So you have to kind of, you have to know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to start this by yourself. A lifetime subscription to this costs $2,000, but promises full customer support, code upgrades, and evolving anti-detection methods. I don't know what that is. Maybe they like change the URL every month or something. You know, it's it's forward slash June. That's how you get there. <laughs> this isn't new. So Caramel has been for sale since December 2020, but it's gaining in popularity for customers of e-commerce platforms. You can protect yourself from these credit card skimmers by either using one-time private cards. So something like a Brex or privacy.com or I think there's a bunch of places that, that set those up now or setting up charging limits and restrictions. Some of the online accounts now actually get you to kind of second factor in apps, etc. But those don't actually protect you against this type of thing. So the other thing that you can do to protect yourself is just using online payment systems in, instead of entering your card directly into the site. I think another way to protect yourself against this is the kind of Shopify pay route where it's someone else's script and, and kind of recognizable format on the screen. So I always try and look out for those as well. I fear more of these types of things will will start to happen as well. It feels so rudimentary. Yeah. It's it's re- like they're taking a page out of the startup book, like as a service the thing that you're doing and selling it to other people. Huh. It's it's like they could have made this a pyramid scheme and like delivered no value out of the end of it. But what instead they did was <laughs> make it an actual product. Huh. This is so you're saying it's better than for me to go use things like Shop Pay, Google Pay, Apple Pay, that kind of stuff, than to type my credit card directly into the form field. So you still have to type your credit card directly into the form field for Shopify Pay and Google and all of those types of things, but you're typing it into their form that's kind of embedded in a website. I would think that that is more secure uh, than when you are typing it directly into a third-party website and you're not sure about that website. I think the big thing here is, like, not sure about. But I I think this is likely to increase the amount of credit cards that are skimmed online in sites that aren't well protected. Oh, no question. Yeah, we need to really help people with their PCI compliance if this is the case. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because I, I think the the supply chain of code is the heart of the the thing that mm-hmm. service providers need to fix it, right? Yeah, I wonder if it'll go up, you know, at the same ratio that, you know, with e-commerce growing at the rate that it is, if we'll see these kind of attacks be directly correlated. I think uh, when ransomware became essentially a service and all of these tools were freely available and you could just go and grab one of these tools and run a, what they're calling, campaign, it skyrocketed, right? Some really gentle language there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> campaign oh my gosh okay so the big news in uh, cryptography cracking quantum computers uh this week was that president joe biden has signed a national security memorandum which is a fancy term for a, a memo like a letter that he's just sent around places it's asking government agencies to implement measures that would mitigate risks posed by quantum computing to national security so the risks of and now this next word Emily, you have analytics in your title, so I'm going to get you to pronounce this. Uh, if you could just read that word that I've highlighted oh. in the document. Oh, I would just say cryptanalytically. Nailed it. Perfect. Just first time. I can't eat. Like, I wrote that word 
and I, I can't say it. So the relevant quantum computers, or CRQC, is basically their ability to break current public key cryptography. So the director of the NSA said that the number one defense against this quantum computing threat is to implement quantum-resistant cryptography on our most important systems. So that, that was a really smart sentence that that person in charge of things said. <laughs> um, the US government agencies are ordered to prioritize the entire process of transitioning to quantum-resistant cryptography and mitigating as much of the quantum risk as possible by 2035. So the CISA and the NIST directors are working on developing technical standards for quantum-resistant cryptography for each of their respective jurisdictions, with the first set to be made publicly available by 2024. So really, this, this whole thing is around, you know, quantum computing is slowly boiling away in the background and making progress. And these computers are super powerful and essentially can then break public key cryptography to a certain degree quicker than, than other things. And so things that are made with slightly weaker keys or have longer to break and all of those types of things, like this reduces the amount of time, essentially, that you need in order to break these things. And the US are the first place to kind of prioritize this, I guess. I'm very pleased that they'll have mitigated as much of that quantum risk as possible by, you know, 2035. <laughs> I love a lot of things about this, but just the fact that we are thinking that Joe Biden has written this and he is using the term quantum risk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think he might know a lot of things, but I'm not sure whether he knows about quantum risk. But I wonder a lot about the types of engineers who work for the government in trying to prevent attacks or trying to mitigate risks like this. Who are they? Folks <laughs> that possess this skill set are amazing to me because this is not one that I possess. And so we know it's <laughs> thanks it is a it's a completely different way of thinking yeah i find it fascinating there's folks uh i've spoken to that do this kind of work and it's just like they they had a passion for it and just sort of threw themselves into it and then got a job doing it that's really cool it, it is very cool yes i type emails <laughs> <laughs> i attend meetings it's pretty much all that. like occasionally i tell people that something doesn't look very good <laughs> <laughs> Stopping by for this week at 1Password is our director of product design, Jamie Hughes. Jamie is here to discuss our recent developments on the mobile front now that both 1Password 8 for iOS and Android are out in early access. Jamie, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I am doing very well, Rue. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's great to be on the show. When I saw that this interview was coming up, I was very excited. I was I was stoked to take this one because you're fun to hang out with. So this, this should be good. Oh man, appreciate that. Yeah, right back at you. All right, so let's let's dive in. I want to start with the origins of what our customers are currently seeing in the early access for 1Password 8 for iOS and Android. What was the goal or the, the mission statement for these apps? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a really great question. And I think just going back to like how we got to this point, like it was really a, a back to basics moment. I think when you've had a product that's loved by customers for so long, it's it's very easy to fall into a trap of like assumptions 
thinking that you are the user and it's a dangerous place to be. And we really wanted to to make sure that wasn't going to happen to us. So we took a, a research from the ground up approach and, and wanted to talk to our customers and really find out like, what are the use cases that they're using mobile for? Like, where are they struggling with it? What are they doing day to day? And how can we make it easy for them to, to operate one password and use it every day? And yeah, if I had to kind of put down like one mission statement for this, it would really be like helping the customer like get to the right thing at the right time and be smart and and simple in how they do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about like the nuts and bolts of the research and design phase that these apps, what did we do? Yeah, it's it's quite an in-depth process, but really it, it starts with taking that step back, like I was saying, and doing a full audit of where we were at with OPI7, OPA7, and just in mobile in general, and just figuring out like what was a success, like what was working for our customers, but also what didn't work for them. And those things are really important for us. Like we want to know the bad things so we can absorb it and, and understand how we can make it better. So it was those direct conversations with our users in the in the really early stages that helped inform like how a lot of this product would move forward and be useful for for us and them. So testing was a big part of that. We would spin up lo-fi prototypes and even some hi-fi prototypes just to kind of run it through with them and, and get their opinions and and just see where they're struggling with with some of this stuff. Yeah, testing and research from the ground up has been key to unlocking where we are today. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's been so fun to see because we obviously, as you said, like we've built these apps for so many years or, you know, we've built one password mobile apps for so many years. Like we think we know what we should be aiming for and having the research there to back up some of our ideas and correct some of our other notions has been really, really cool to see. So we did the user research. That's like a one and done thing, right? Like we're just, we're done. We move on. We're not going to do any more research. We know what we're building going forward. It's all just the developers know, know what's best. Right. I mean, that would be nice and easy, wouldn't it? But no, <laughs> research <laughs> is fundamental to the process now. We've invested heavily into it and it's a continual cycle for us. Like we don't just research once, like it is a continuous amalgamation of like learning what our customers are, are doing with the apps, learning how the new prototype helps them perform these jobs to be done and, and get to what they want to do. But also like it feeds into our development process. And and when we go into the beta stages and early access, like research is still playing a huge part there. I was reviewing some designs this morning for some changes that are that we're going to be working on pretty soon. And I had some questions about why some choices were made or, or why some of the, the things were changed the way that they were. And I was able to reach out to Ginny, who is one of our re- user researchers and say like, hey, can you just help me understand how we got here? And Ginny, she sat me down and she's like, yep, here's here. like she basically she had a whole slide deck all set to go, like as if she expected me to ask her these questions. <laughs> and so like was able to tie all of the changes back to user research sessions and discussions that she'd had with the people that are actually using our apps today. It was awesome. And it changed how I was looking at things and answered so many of my questions about why, why we were doing what we were doing. It was a, it was a very comforting moment because we've done so much just by feel in the past. Now we have real people validating 
this stuff for us. Yeah, for sure. Like I always find working with the research team, like this, this magical revolving door, like you go in with an opinion and then suddenly you're out the other side of it with a completely different understanding and just you've been level set to what is actually important. And that's key to this, like that evidence that research provides us gives us the confidence to go ahead and design the right solution. It's going to continue to help us be human centered. And I think that's really a, a key thing for us is like understanding what is human in, in terms of security as well. And I think being able to connect with with people on that level and, and demystify sometimes a complicated subject or scary subject is where we want to be. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do with Ginny in particular is to try and get her to agree with my opinions uh, as as we go into these conversations. It's not going to happen. She won't do no. it. It's so fun because she's <laughs> like, I'm not, no, Rue, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I will tell you what our users think and, and how those should inform yeah. our decisions. She'll make you think that you landed an opinion that was yours, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was the research team. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. So one password eight, these are ground up rewrites and we started building all of the 1Password 8 apps on the same day. April 1st, 2020, we did file new project across the board. And so we were building them in tandem. The desktop apps have now come out first. 1Password 8 for Mac and Windows and Linux, those are out. What did we learn from these releases? And and more importantly, what did we learn throughout the design and the development phase over the last couple of years as we've been building this and how it pertains to where we are today with, with mobile? Yeah, I think... There's always lots of learnings when you do file new project, right? It's it's never plain sailing. So we've had to kind of, you know, make small little tweaks to the, the direction over time. But I think we've managed to do that in an agile fashion and get to a, a place where we are releasing good apps and continuity across the experience. I've been lucky enough to be involved in some of that desktop work as well. And I think one real thread that kind of binds both experiences across desktop and mobile is the theme of productivity and security. I think we see this be really evident in how quick access is used on desktop. It's increasing efficiency, but it's not getting in the way. It's it's kind of giving you the right thing, but just not in the most obtrusive way, right? It's just there and when you need it. And again, with Watchtower, like it's an interesting feature watchtower not only is it this kind of guardian of your items and in, in your passwords and, and giving you the the security you need but it kind of hacks your own behaviors and seeing it in this fashion it's done it for me anyway like i i see my score and i want to correct it so i start to change my behaviors with security and i start to understand it more and seeing those kind of small tiny improvements that you make have a contribution to making your score better and having better security hygiene like i think it's those types of things that the desktop has been doing that we're bringing to mobile as well and we want to make sure that the mobile apps are as productive and as secure and encourage that feeling of security watchtower has been a really interesting one for us to bring to ios and android because it is one of the first features or workflows that we brought in that where you were intended to stay in the app and like actually get some stuff done. And in the past, we have optimized solely around getting in, getting your data and getting back out. We still have that, of course, with 1Password 8. Like we've certainly optimized that as well. But it's been neat for me to see how engaged I am with Watchtower on my phone, our kitchen and laundry are currently being remodeled. And so I was at the laundromat the other day, sitting there waiting for the dryer to finish. And I was on my phone going, I've got 32 items that need 2FA, uh, two-factor authentication turned on. 
I guess I'll go do those now and like was improving my score at the laundromat. And I was like, this is kind of fun. Like it was, it's really cool. Yeah. I don't want to say gamification, but it, it's getting to that point where, you know, if we can help customers kind of improve their scores in a fun way as well, I think that just adds to the benefit of this. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite parts of the new apps, which is the home tab. Mm-hmm. Because we have created this space in one password that is so incredibly customizable and able to be tailored to each individual's needs and wants with one password. I just want to honestly I just want to riff on that one for a little while. Like start at the beginning, describe the home tab, tell people what's in there, what they can do with it, and, and what our goals are. Yeah, obviously I have a <laughs> a personal love for the the home tab. I I almost open it every day, even though I'm not looking for an item, because I think there's <laughs> there's that element of, you know, like you said, customization and ownership. I feel like now I'm setting up one password to work for me. And it goes back to, you know, our research and, and what we discovered, like people use mobile apps in, in different ways. And we have such a broad set of customers that being distinct about what they're coming into the app to use, like it doesn't work. Like we have to give a level of flexibility that works for everyone. So that was the home tab kind of initial spark of an idea is like, how can we make this simple to customize so a user can either, you know, have their favorites on on the first screen that they see, or maybe they don't have favorites. Maybe they have their vaults and have that on the first screen. I guess really like, what's your favorite kind of thing that's on the, on the home home tab? All right, so this is something that we built recently. And it's the ability to take almost any field from any item and pin it to the home tab. So for me, I have two. Actually, I have three now. One is my Wi-Fi password. So I have our, our home Wi-Fi password pinned there. And I can tap on it and show it in large type on the screen, which is really like single tap, like large type. There it is. I can see it. I can show it to somebody. I have Amazon Video has a five-digit pin that you have to put in when you rent or buy something. Amazon gives me like $1 credits for picking certain types of shipping, which then incentivizes me to go and spend them on their website. Like they've totally hooked me there. (laughs) But I have to put in that pin when I'm renting something on the TV and you can't paste it. It doesn't work like that. You have to type it in. So I have that pin on the home screen where I can just quickly reveal it. Like I unlock, tap, reveal, it's right there. And then my kids' screen time passcode because they watched my wife and I type in their screen time passcode a couple weeks ago. And my seven-year-old goes, oh, it's this. And I go, yep, now I have to go change it. And so I've changed it. I don't remember what it is. Now it's a, it's pinned to my home screen so I can just unlock and tap and see it. That is my favorite new feature. Yeah. You can make it whatever you want. Like you can, you can put that data right at your fingertips and, and it's so fast. You can copy it. You can show it in large type. You can just reveal it. Like it's, it's so good. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. Like the pinned fields feature was kind of like my favorite as well. Like being able to pin that specific field that you always use. And I think it's interesting that the way one password caters for all different types of information, right? It's not just login data. There's other bits that happen outside of the world of digital sometimes. And like, how do you account for that? Like if it's not just a password that you can copy and paste, like your code, for instance, like you have to know it and being able to see it quickly and access it quickly is something we can push to that screen and give people that ability to to share and, and use. So the home tab has, as we mentioned, a high degree of customization. I'm just going to read through the current set of options that are available. Okay, you can have pinned fields, 
all items, favorites, watchtower, recently used, frequently used, recently modified, recently created. You can have your categories listed out. You can have your vaults listed out. You can have your tags listed out. You can show your archive. You can show recently deleted. I only have a subset yeah. selected. Like that's a huge amount of data. That's even that that's somewhat overwhelming. So I have it focused way down because that's the whole point. So what is your home tab setup? My home tab setup is, yeah, pin fields at the top. I then have all items, frequently used, vaults, and recently created. And that's it for me. I'm, I'm kind of a minimalist in, in that home area. I like to really curate it down. But we've seen in user testing, people go the whole hog. Like they have everything because some are power users and they need to be able to kind of see all that information. Yeah. Sometimes not to access, but sometimes to know that it's there, right? I think there's the the other side of this is like knowing it's all safe still. Yeah. So you, you hit on something there that I don't think people, I, we haven't said yet. These are all reorderable mm. too. So like you could put pin fields anywhere uh, that you want or turn it off completely. I have pin fields, all items, favorites, watchtower, and recently used in that order. That's That's all I want. That's it. Until something else comes, right? Until something else comes. And that's something that's... The home gives us like the ability to do that. Like we can inject like new technology and new smart tiles to to really kind of understand how to get the best out of your data. And hopefully in the future we we can expand this even more and possibly have integrations or something like that, right? It's it's gonna be interesting. The iOS and the Android apps have the same general design language. And in fact, the same design language across all of the one password eight apps. But I know the team has spent a lot of time on platform specific features and design details. Can you talk about why that's important? Yeah. So when you talk about the specific design language across our apps, like we have an internal design system and design language called Knox, and this kind of reinforces the brand at every opportunity we get. And, you know, it's what our customers are familiar with. It is one password in the palm of their hands, right? But we also want to be respectful of particular design patterns that are intuitive and, and common on, on iOS and Android. So there are moments where, you know, we, we want to deviate from the Knox design system and respect system design patterns. Modal sheets, for one, like we want to make sure that they feel natural and intuitive. They have the right animations, the right feeling. And then on Android, things like the floating action button, it's there. People know about it and they use it every day. So let's make sure they, they know where to find it. There are some cases where we will take learnings from the native design patterns and build upon them just so that they're specific for us. And we can kind of, you know, leverage our brand and our insights into that, that design pattern. But yeah, we, we love to kind of bridge the gap between native and, and our own design system called Knox. One of my favorite things as these apps have come together as has been to watch how we are nailing that balance of an app that is like it's definitely a one password app and also it's very clearly an ios app or an android app it's what i had hoped for when we started this whole project was it's an app that feels right at home right it feels like it's it's it is an extension of what the operating system is providing you. It's an interesting space we're in. Like the security space is always kind of seen as maybe quite stale, but there is a friendliness within our brand. And we want to strike that balance of, you know, being friendly, being approachable, but also secure. So that's that's important for us to come through in, in everything we do, whether it is on iOS, Android, Linux, browser, right? It, yeah. it has to feel like us and it has to feel like our customers are 
comfortable and they know that we're looking after them. Yeah, 100%. All right, Jamie, how do people get their hands on these new mobile apps? We've been talking about it a lot. Like, where do people actually go to get them? Well, there is a test flight out right now for iOS. We are at a certain capacity right now, so we have to kind of, you know, make it available when we can. But there is a test flight page that we can kind of link in the description and you can go ahead and download the iOS version. May 17th, we will have the Android early access version out as well. So everyone across both platforms will start to be able to enjoy all the new features that are coming to to mobile. The test flight is indeed full. We have 10,000 slots available to us and 9,998 of those slots are taken. I am constantly going in and like tending to that garden, removing <laughs> slots that are used but not active if, if they've not been active in the last two weeks because we're staying at capacity all the time. It got filled pretty quick, right? Oh, within the first 24 hours, we, yeah. we quote unquote sold out. It was unreal. So the like, People really want to use the new the new iOS app. And honestly, I can't I can't blame them. Happily, that restriction doesn't exist on Android. So the Google Play Store listing will be up and that'll be wide open. So we can have tens of thousands of people over there, which is great. And anyone from Apple that's listening, you should totally uh, follow Google's lead. Yeah, we need more people. We need more feedback. We're, we're keen to keep improving this app. So, well, so speaking of which, like if they have feedback, what's the best place for people to, to send it in? We have a range of channels, really. So the forums is a great place to get specific kind of updates and feature release notes. You can jump onto our 1Password forums and see when the new releases are coming out and all the previous bits of feedback from other customers. Like you may be in the same boat as someone else and it may be actually being filed as an issue already. So contribute to that and, and bump that up for our awareness, but also Twitter and all the other social channels. Like we're happy to hear from whatever's easiest from, from you all. And, and we'll be there to, to receive that feedback. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Well, Jamie, any, anything else you'd like to share? Any places people should go to learn more about you or 1Password or anything else? I am at Jamie Hughes on Twitter and all across social media. That is J-A-M-I-E-H-E-U-Z-E because I like to spell it in a fancy way. Other things for 1Password, if you haven't yet, go and check out future.1password.com. We have a huge amount of kind of exploratory work there, which really outlines where we're headed in the future with 1Password. And it's pretty exciting. Like I'm I'm super stoked for the future of what we're doing and we're going to start really bridging the gap of you know security and human behavior. Nice. Very cool. Jamie, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rue. It's been awesome. So as a reminder, we have a giveaway to celebrate the launch of 1Password 8 for Mac. We're giving the users the chance to win one year of 1Password for free and some 1Password swag. So all you need to do is tell us the weirdest thing you store in 1Password, and we will read out some of the answers. <laughs> still, huh? <laughs> we're, we're still doing this. I think the person who ends up winning this, we will not be able to read their, their answer because it will be so good that we can't read it out <laughs> on, on the pod. I hope that that's the case. Yeah. I want a whole episode to be able... I just want one episode <laughs> where we just read these and that's it. That's the episode. I really... Like, I'm, I'm fascinated by the ways in which people use our product. So I'm not going to be surprised by anything. But I hope I am. <laughs> I really hope there is something super, like, odd and niche that someone has. Like, you know, I've got a collection of bumper number plates... And I keep photographs of them in one password. 
that type of stuff. <laughs> so you can submit your entries using the Ask One Password hashtag. So that's hashtag Ask One Password on Twitter, or send us an email to podcast at onepassword.com. Yeah, if it's really weird, you probably want to send the email rather than publicly tweeting us and reference the uh, RBM giveaway. So uh, submit your entries by May 24th, 2022. So we have an Ask One Password segment today. And David on Twitter says, please mention this in the podcast. If only so, Rue has to try and say football and mean the real one and throw in a one-off game of Rue trying to say Welsh place names for kicks and giggles. I just wanted to add, that was a reply that came along with the Ryan Reynolds and Wrexham AFC advert. So that, that was the advert. If you haven't seen it, I guess at Van City Reynolds on Twitter and you can watch the One Password little trailer advert type thing. I did think about making the ridiculous requirements about Welsh place names, but I don't think I can pronounce too many Welsh place names. No. Also, geography. Yeah. Down with geography. Yeah. So no. So, sorry, David, we might have to uh, put that one into another episode. And uh, Dan Dan asks, could you roughly describe your last team building event on the podcast? I got a lot of enjoyment from hearing about your virtual cruise back whenever that was and would love to hear about how the latest one went. Maybe it will inspire some others as well. It was space themed this year, right? The online platform that we used was was pretty good. I thought we went a little bit too deep into the space theme. I think we enjoyed it a bit too much. But other than that, like, I thought it was really good. We had like a ship that you can click around and there was all sorts of things. We had an astronaut come and talk to us. That was really cool. So if you want to also get in touch with uh, 1Password, you can send us an email at podcast at 1Password.com or use the Ask 1Password hashtag on Twitter. So we are playing Ridiculous Requirements. So welcome to Ridiculous Requirements, the game where we work together, as in you two work together, to come up with passwords that fit the honestly terrible requirements that I have set. So today it's all about famous people. So all must be names of reasonably famous people, must contain six words, must contain rhyming pairs of two, and then we get into the actual meat and potatoes. So, must contain a Maroon 5 member and someone nicknamed The Boss, must contain a Frasier actor and a 90s rapper, and must contain a filmmaker famous for The Breakfast Club. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we'll start at the end. I mean, we've moved from geography to pop culture, so I'm I'm into it. We'll start at the end, right? So John Hughes. Oh, look at you go. Right? And then... Uh, Maroon 5 member, blah, 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 Adam yeah. Levine, and the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Adam Levine, Bruce Springsteen. Does that meet my other requirements? Close enough. Does Levine and Springsteen... That, that's It rhymes. It's got to rhyme. That's rhyme? That rhymes? <laughs> it's rhymish. Okay. I can confirm that rhymes. 90s rapper. I mean, come on. Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Jay-Z, Biggie. No, hold on. So wait, we've got David Hyde Pierce. David Hyde Pierce. Kelsey Grammer. It's it's Frasier actor, right? Yeah. Sorry, I went straight to 90s. I went straight to my, straight to my youth. Kelsey Grammer, David Hyde Pierce... Oh, what the heck is, uh, what was his father's name? John. Um, oh, I did not watch the show. I did not know. Mulaney? No. John Delaney? No. So rhyming pairs of two. So maybe just find one of the Frasier actors that rhymes with a 90s rapper. Sorry. Who rhymes with grammar? Uh, First name, MC. Hammer. Ah, oh, so good. Oh. <laughs> MC Hammer. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. 
Wow, we crushed that this week. Wait, wait, wait. No, we're not done, though. We're not? Because John Hughes, a, f- a filmmaker famous for The Breakfast Club. So there's no, there's no more requirements. So you can get creative with that one, but it's still got to match all the other ones. So it's got to be a rhyming pair of two. So it's got to rhyme with John Hughes. I see. And it's got to be a fe- reasonably famous person. Oh, and it has to be a reasonably famous person. Oh, so it can't be like John Hughes, new shoes. Uh, <laughs> oh, I was going to say Blue's Clues. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Famous actor in the Mission Impossible series. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. T- uh, the, Tom the, Cruise. The Tom Cruise. Yep. So the full password would be... Go, go ahead, Emily. Adam Levine, Bruce Springsteen. Kelsey Grammer, MC Hammer. John Hughes, Tom Cruise. There you go. That was a we good one. We got this one. one a lot faster mm. than the last time. Mm. This one didn't need to be edited to make it sound like we're not completely <laughs> ignorant of world geography. I like it. Well, this was lovely. This was a great time. So thank you. Love you both. Lots of fun today. Love you both. All right, then. Love you both. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.